Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we'll pick up in verse 21 and we'll read through 37 and then go back and just hit on 27 through 30 and then um, that'll probably be about it today. Uh, No, 20, yeah, 27 through, well, we'll see. So um, verse 21 of Matthew 5. And you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, whoever or you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard what that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So what we need to continually remember that that Jesus is talking about the heart. The whole Sermon on the Mount is about the heart because you have the Pharisees and the religious leaders who would really taught that it's all about what you do on the outside that they didn't deal with the heart. And so sometimes Jesus will um, continue to explain to the point where you're like, man, this is serious business. And that's really what he's doing. He's emphasizing how important it is to guard your heart, how important it is to understand that from the heart are where these things are. Because, I mean, we can get caught up in some of this. The first thing I want us to make sure we all know is Jesus is using these words to specifically make us realize, and the people who were listening and the hearers, their desperate need for some, something outside of themselves to change them. Because when you read this, you're going, okay, we're all toast. I mean, I mean, the reality is it's impossible to do all this stuff. I mean, I have no more members. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, we'd all be blind. We'd all have our, con- our tongues cut out or whatever. No, no and I'm just thinking of, of also, um, you know, a lot, some fundamentalist churches will use scriptures like this to put a huge guilt trip on those who were divorced and then remarried. Now, is that God's best plan for, for marriage? No. But, the reality is, is sometimes that happens. Does that mean that, well, sorry, you're uh, forever, you know, outside of the body of Christ? No, there's forgiveness 
there's only one uh, thing that can't be forgiven. That's blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of debate on what that is. But divorce is not it. Uh, anger is not it. But let's dive into some of this. We will not get through all that I read tonight. It's just... I don't want us to rush through too many things because you'll probably still go, well, but what about this? So, uh, but again, Jesus continues to address the heart. Now, what's interesting is when we talk about anger, I don't think I can think of a time. I don't think I can think. That's a good phrase. I, don't, I can't remember a time where I've seen just this sense of anger just in society. All It seems like everybody's angry all the time about something. Um, I mean, everyone's offended by something. They're, everyone's angry. Um, I remember when I first started training at Starbucks, uh, like my third day there, uh, one of the shift supervisors uh, went and complained to the manager be- because of the way I looked at her <laughs> when I walked in. I'm like, how did I look at you? Well, you, just, you, just, you didn't look nice. About, oh, so what's the problem? I mean, I probably was I, I, I said, I told the manager, I probably wasn't even thinking about who I was looking at, to be honest with you. I was trying to absorb everything, and I had to walk around the parking lot in, in, at the Starbucks before I walked in as part of my training, and there was stuff in that parking lot because it was right across the street from a paid-by-the-hour hotel. So there was stuff in the parking lot that I'm like, eh, you know. So some of the things like, do I have to pick that up? <laughs> So, but, but anyway, but we see that, that people just get offended um, and just go, I'll tell you, I'll show you how easy it is to get offended. Go to the 15 or less item in the grocery store and watch somebody who has 20 or, 20 or more items in their cart. And if they're in front of you, you're like, or they go to the self-checkout and they've got a whole basket full. And like, this is not for people that have, you know, except for Walmart. But you know, this is these stations aren't very big at Fred Meyer. Come on, so but but this word for anger is or orgizo, so O R G I Z O, if that means anything to you, but it's pronounced orgizo, which means to have wrath toward. So to have wrath toward, um, and wrath is, uh, you know, not good. By the way. Uh, on the football field, it's great to have wrath towards another person, as long as they're on the opposing team. Um, but in fun, right? So the word he says here for you full is raka, which literally means empty head. So, you know, if you say call someone an empty head, um, you know, cotton-headed ninny muggins from, uh, from Elf, uh, then, then you have pretty much committed murder in your heart. Well, shoot, man, I blow it a lot of times on the road, you know. In fact, I've, I've practiced this when people are speeding by or they cut you off or something. I've had to pause and go, maybe they're on the way to the hospital or maybe there's an emergency they're trying to get to. Just so I will frame it correctly in my mind. I play these games with my mind so, so that I won't get angry because it really doesn't do any good. In fact, most of the time when we get angry, it's a waste of our time and our energy. It just really is. Um, and so not that we can't be bothered by stuff, but we need to be those who are quick to go, okay, it's not worth being angry. Um, Ephesians four twenty six. Ephesians four twenty six. Because, obviously, there's a type of anger that Jesus is talking about here, right? We see him 
shows some anger and when he overthrows the tables and the money changers and the, and the temple, and that's righteous anger, I would say it's very hard for us to have righteous anger, but there are moments where just it is, it is, it is right for us to be angry. 426 of Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Great practice in relationships, um, in marriage, you know, try to work it out before you go to bed, before, because, um, you know, it's, it's a good idea. Uh, but, um, you know, the reality is, is how do you get angry and not sin, right? And, there's, and that's where, where does the anger come from? What is the cause of the anger? Am I angry that babies are being killed? Yeah, I'm angry. Um, am I angry at the people who, who do the killing of the babies? Um, or am I angry just at sin in the world? Uh, you know, and that's the challenge, right? Because a lot of times the people who Jesus hung on the cross and said, forgive them for they know not what they do, we get angry at the person and not necessarily just the result of the brokenness of the world. Um, and we think they know what they're doing because obviously we know that they're killing babies. We do. They're, they're justifying it with a different worldview through you know, a different idea of what life is and things like that. So um, it's hard because that is an injustice. Um, I get angry at the all mixed messages that the media gives me all the time. And I have to learn that I just need to not get angry about that. They're just trying to make a buck. I mean, that's the reality. Me, <laughs> new shows have become about more entertainment and how can I get people to, to watch our show and increase the ratings than truly reporting the news? So I can't blame them. That's what their job is. Uh, that's what it's become. It's not journalism anymore. So why waste my time getting angry when, of course, they're going to do that. That's just what they do. So these are just things that I wrestle with and, and more. Obviously, when people cut me off the street, um, you know, that's difficult. That makes me mad. Then my dogs make me mad sometimes. So, um, but I still like them. How weird is that? Uh, Genesis 4, verses 1 through 11. Let's look at what anger looks like at the very beginning. It's been around a while. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 11. Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened <clears throat> its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. <clears throat> so anger causes irrationality. Uh, we see here that the, what was in the heart 
of Cain caused him to be so angry um, that he killed his brother. Uh, and so what does it mean for God to regard uh, the, the, the sacrifice? Uh, we see probably what would happen uh, in 1 Kings 19. We see uh, the, uh, uh, Elijah, Elijah you know, challenging the prophets of Baal, 400 prophets, to a, basically a, a God duel. He says, hey, create a sacrifice on an altar and call out to your God and um and have him come down and take the sacrifice and they don't do it they they do all these chanting they they cut themselves they wail they cry he taunts them it's great one of the lines that elijah says it he says is your god on vacation and he says oh no wait maybe he's indisposed or basically in the bathroom you know and then they stop and so he says okay Here's the sacrifice, drench the thing in water. He calls out to God and fire comes down and consumes the whole altar, rocks and all, and, and it's completely dry. And then he goes and kills 400 prophets of Baal. So it's pretty exciting. Um, so, but the, the, the thing that, that we see here is uh, there was a precedent that we believe was here that God required an animal sacrifice. We would see that he covered um, Adam and Eve in skins of animals. And so that was the shedding of blood to cover them. So we believe that God had given a precedent to Adam and Eve that this is how you worship me. This is what accept- is acceptable to me. And not that the first fruit of the ground wasn't great and, and Cain was brought it to the Lord, but it's not what God had prescribed because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Abel brought the correct thing. He could have bartered and bought stuff or, or asked his brother for a, a lamb to, to present to the Lord and follow the rules that God had did. But he didn't want to follow the rules. And so he watches Abel's uh, um, sacrifice be consumed by the Lord. His left there and he's mad and he's angry. And he really should be mad at himself because he didn't want to play by the rules. Um, and you know, so uh, again, there's a lot more into that this story that we won't get into in symbolism. But the whole idea is that anger in the root of the heart will cause somebody to act inappropriately. Psalm four, verse four. I mean, obviously, we can't walk around. Oh, everything's lovely all the time. <laughs> but there is a point where we need to guard, be on guard for anger. Paul in, that, in Ephesians when he, that we just read says, do not give an opportunity for the devil is what he's saying. Anger will give an opportunity for the devil. Uh, Psalm 4 verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Selah means pause. Think about what was just said. So I think the warning from the psalmist here is, hey, be angry and do not sin. One of the ways maybe you could do that is pause for a minute. Just stop, and before you do anything, uh, think about it. Think about it. Jesus, again, takes it to another level. If you even say, hey, you empty-headed person, or you idiot, or you fool, uh, and, and you've already committed murder in your heart. I mean, that's severe. Now, some of that was because, again, the Pharisees were teaching people, it doesn't matter what you, what you do on the inside, what you think, it doesn't matter. 
It's just how you look on the outside. That's all that matters. And Jesus is like, that means nothing. Because eventually, if you hit a speed bump and you have a cup with no lid on it, you're going to reveal the contents that are in the cup. And so in life, when you reveal, if you're suppressing all these feelings, all this anger, and bumps of life come on, a weak moment come on, uh, comes in your life, you're going to reveal what's in the heart. If you have lust for something, whether it's lust for things, uh, for, for, for clothes, for lust again, because women actually do lust for men, just so you guys know. I don't know if you knew that happens in our society. Um, uh, but it, the reality is, is, is we have access now to ways to act out upon that lust that we never had before. And it's just revealing what's in your heart is the reality is if I lust after a woman um, or a man, um, I might as well you know, just go for it. I mean, obviously that's not what Jesus is saying, but what Jesus is saying is you're doing the act within your heart. You're defiling yourself because of what's happening in the heart. Um, and so uh, again, you can be perfect on the outside. I mean, have you ever been in, I've been in houses um, that their lawn's perfect, their house is, is, is perfect on the outside, freshly painted, everything's cleaned up and you walk in and it's just a wreck inside. It's just a mess everywhere. And you're like, wow, how did, this, how did the storm miss the outside but only inside? And it's the same idea. As, you know, curb appeal means nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. Cut your weeds and all that good stuff uh, in your grass. But uh, that doesn't make you a homeowner. What makes you... Oh, never mind. That's a bad analogy. Uh, Proverb 14.29. Proverbs 14.29. This is not the pressed nose one, but you know. <clears throat> and what's interesting... Yeah. So G- God in his word had kind of prepared the Pharisees and the people to hear, hey, it's what, you know, let's not do this in your heart. Let's be careful. 1429 of Proverbs, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And we've all been around those people, and maybe we were sometimes that way, who just fly off the handle at a moment's notice. You're like, man, uh, you know, maybe you've been in situations where you have a family member where everyone walks around on tiptoes around this person because at any moment they could explode for not, and it usually has nothing to do with the fact that the TV's not on the station that they want. I mean, that's the trigger that reveals what's in the heart. And here, so here he is, whoever's slow to anger has great understanding. And I think for us, again, as the psalmist says, pause, think about it for a little bit, is we can get, we, we, there's a difference between reaction and response. Um, I've always tried to encourage people, let's be responders and not reactors, because reactions often can be um, exaggerated misinterpreted and, and done without all the information. Now, obviously, um, that's why they call them first responders. You don't want first reactors, right? Because, you know, oh no, someone's crashed, you know, instead of, okay, how, let's see what they are. How can I save them? Where, what's the best point of it that I need to get them out of it instead of freaking out? Um, it's been an accident. That's horrible. <laughs> that's horrible, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, we laugh at that, but that's really what Jesus is kind of hitting on. It's like, how crazy would our society be? And here's the thing that, that I am astounded by. I'm just going to say this. Cell phones, I think, have caused, actually, people um, the inability to respond. 
Because their response is, oh, I got to get this on film. <laughs> instead of, why don't you go help the person that's trapped under the car instead of filming the other people who finally rush there. But I mean, you know, sometimes filming can be good. I mean, obviously it's helped for certain things. But it's just amazing to me how much time um, people are filming other people all the time now. It's just interesting to me uh, for whatever reason. I don't know. It's what they do because I'm going to get the most YouTube hits, I guess, or something. I'm not sure. Um, Proverbs 15, verse 1. We're almost there. Our kids did know this one quite a bit. It was in the... So Laura has this Bible. I'm giving parenting tips here for... Well, you don't have one yet. But she has this Bible that has all... She has categories for... Because kids have only a handful of categories that, that they always can get in trouble in. No, they're, they're lying. They're stealing. They're being rude. They're not obeying. They're, they're being mean, right? There's not... I mean, that's, that's just... You know, there's a handful. And so, and so she had the categories in all these verses that... that so kids will get in trouble. Okay, sit down. Okay, what verse? This one that we're going to read right now was probably the number one verse in our household. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, and I think that, that, again, we know, right? I, I, can, I know how to make people angry. I can make Laura angry really fast, right? And vice versa. We know each other well enough to push buttons. Your daughters know how to push each other's buttons, right? And then your buttons get pushed. Uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, I was looking at, um, what's the name of your great-grandbaby that was there? Roland. Roland. Mm-hmm. And it's a girl, right? Yes. Okay. Looking at her, and she's at the altar just sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I'm like, but you're a little sinner, and one of these days, that's not going to be so cute anymore, right? You know, you're just like, hmm, yeah, why can't they stay? Oh. I mean, it's nice for them not to be that dependent upon you, but at some point in time, you're like, just go back to where you were completely dependent upon me and totally at peace in my arms. Uh, because, but you know that, that that's not going to last, yeah. I mean, it's interesting you use that choice of words because I feel like that's kind of what God wants too. Is us to be sleeping? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, no, absolutely. I mean, that's what we hopefully are growing into, our dependency upon him. And again, he gives us these tools. Be slow to anger, right? And, and, and be slow to anger. And, and it's hard because most of my anger um, is a reaction to something, but it reveals anger that was already in my heart that I didn't realize was there. And you've all been in those situations. All of a sudden, you're really ticked off. And you really don't know why. You're like, why am I so exercised about things? But I am. So there's stuff that you haven't dealt with, right? That's sitting there brewing ready. 15, 18 of Proverbs. Were, Proverbs has a lot of good things in, here, in it, by the way. Um, if you, so one of the programs called U-Turn for Christ, it was for guys getting out of jail and for drug addicts. They would just read a chapter of Psalm a day every month because it's 31 chapters. So sometimes you have to double up if there's only 28 days or 30. But they read a whole chapter of Proverbs, excuse me, every day because of all the wisdom that's in here. Um, so it's a good practice. So 15:18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Well, and think about that too. This is just practical advice. Right? If someone's hot-tempered and another person comes in and they're calm, they diffuse the situation a little bit. Um, 
again, sometimes that hot-tempered person, that bothers the hot-tempered person, but the person who is, who is slow to anger quiets contention. It's not there. It's slow. A 1632 of Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs 1632. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Okay, and so we're talking again about these things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. But the reality is, is that the control of the spirit of who you are, our spirit left to itself, uh, that is the spirit of our emotions, unbridled emotions are a horrible thing. Um, but at the same time, suppressing your emotions is not a good thing either. That's why we need help of the Spirit to express our emotions correctly. Some of the challenge that we have in churches is you have some churches who are all emotion, and you're like, whoo, and then they get to certain conclusions and the way they practice things, and you're just like, I'm not sure God's in the room at this point, people. But anyway, but then you have those on the other side of the, uh, of the spectrum who just never show any emotion in, in their faith in Christ at all. Uh, you know, they're just very stoic. And you have to go, does, does the risen Christ not move you a little bit? I mean, can you not smile? Can you not, can you not at the, I love watching, I can see God working at the, at the communion rail because you can just see that people are really encountering the real Jesus in that moment. And even the hardest of hearts, are, not hardest of hearts, the, the most reserved of people are broken at the rail. Um, and it's just, it, for me, it, it's a delight because you see that there is that life in them. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Let me just turn a page on this one. 22, verse 4. That's interesting. Why did I put this one here? Oh. <clears throat> okay. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And so when you think about someone who is gentle in spirit and slow to anger, there's a, there's a, there's a point of humility that has to be there. Um, and if there's not humility, usually the proud is the one who's quick to be angry, right? You've met those people. I mean, I get angry out of my pride, not because I really need to be angry, but because I feel somehow I have been offended, um, and that's really the world that we're in today. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you're offending somebody, just so you know. So it's just the way it is. Um, and I know that the Apostle Paul says, as much as it is up to you, live peaceably with all men. You can try to do that, but the reality is in the, in the environment that we're in today, um, you will offend somebody. Uh, and, and it's tough because you're like, I don't want to offend anybody. But the reality is people are quick-tempered these days. They're looking for a reason to, to validate themselves. And when they're trying to be haughty and prideful, they will protect that position all that they can. Proverbs 29, 22. Twenty-nine, twenty-two. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Again, this is why Jesus is pretty much telling the Pharisees, doesn't matter if you look right on the outside, it's happening on the inside. And guess what's happening? You're causing much transgression. And think about those moments in your life. And you know, maybe you have moments right now where you're holding on to anger. Um, I know of a person who 
her husband uh, passed away a little, almost six years ago, five and a half years ago now, and she is just angry at God and is holding on to that and, and it's creating bitterness. And, and so now every, she's just angry all the time, lashes out at everybody. And it's like, you know, it's not healthy. It's not good. Uh, but again, so that's why uh, when Jesus says, if you know that there's an offense, you, you know, please go take care of it quickly. One of the things we know is that the soldiers were surprised that Jesus was dead already on the cross. He should not have been dead as far as how much time. That, that's why they were going to break the bones of the ones uh, that were on the cross uh, because then they wouldn't be able to push themselves up and, and, and get some relief to their lungs that was filling with blood. They wouldn't be able to do that. and They would suffocate and die quickly because they couldn't do that. But they looked at Jesus and they said, we don't think that he's alive. And so that's why they pushed the spear through his side to actually pierce the heart so that they would see if water came out with the blood that he was dead. And so, very scientific, that's what happened. Uh, and so when we look at that, Jesus died quickly. He, the, the, and so I think it's interesting, he appeased the wrath of God quickly. And it's a great lesson for us when we're in contention with somebody else, is it's better to die quickly and, and just give up your rights in the thing. Now, I'm not saying, we'll get to this in a minute when we talk about divorce, I'm not saying be abused. But at the same time, most of the arguments we have, most, I always qualify that. I'm not saying most of the arguments we have with people, if you really think about it in the grand scheme of things, are fairly insignificant. Uh, If you think about uh, fights you've had with your children, uh, yeah, you know, or fights that you've had with your spouse, uh, you you know, you you look at it and you go, well, you're like, okay, so we still love each other and that's it. Great. Wonderful. And we just spent a lot of time with emotions and energy and you're exhausted. You have a headache and all these things. And, and, but, but the reality is, is, and again, I want to be careful because there are some arguments and some moments of disagreement that are valid and very important, but it's kind of like when I discuss theology with people and I disagree with them. Um, I love it. I'll be very passionate about it. Laura was in on a discussion that the executive uh, assistant to our president of our synod and Jonathan and I were having, and we're very passionate in our discussion about how do we raise up church leaders? You know, let's, you know, what do we do? And, and so from the outside, someone could think, man, you guys are just going at each other because you're all talking so, so passionately. And so because that was the observation, because Laura was cleaning, she was like, well, you guys were a little heated. You know, I went to Jonathan, I said, hey, I wasn't, he goes, no, we're just passionate. We're both passionate about it. So he goes, it's great. But again, um, we, we realize that sometimes we waste energy up over things that aren't necessary. Um, and so uh, I think what was the phrase that I, uh, that God gave me years ago, I used to get really upset. I'm, well, used to. Confession time. I'm getting better at not getting as upset of running later than I would like to run. Is that fair? But I would sit in the car years ago, <clears throat> waiting for Lara, and I would go, well, who else am I waiting for? So, and I would, and, and this, I learned this from my dad. My dad would sit in the car and honk at my mom, you know, honk the horn, which I tried to do with Lara, and that was not a good idea um, years ago. And so, and so I, I had, you know, I, I remember God specifically saying, Kirk, this, this is not worth the relationship. Because it's not. We always get to think. We always get to places on time. We do. 
It's not the time I want to be there, but that doesn't matter. My time is not the time that we need to be there. We need to be there on time. And we get there on time. Um, and, so, and so I had to pause and go, you know what? Is it worth, and I don't do well all the time, but is it worth you know, starting the morning off or the day off with my wife in frustration and anger who's already you know, knowing that we're behind? And so rather than, hey, we're going to get there. It's okay. You know, we get there and, and we get things done. Then we sit around and wait, right? Because you still get ready earlier and earlier. So, which is wonderful. Um, moving on. Uh, <laughs> let's go to um, Galatians 5. Nope. Galatians 5. This is a church. This is a church he's writing to. Uh, so again, Jesus is talking about the heart. And what the beautiful thing is, is that the Pharisees, religious leaders, even his disciples at this point in time in Matthew, they are left wanting after they hear these words. I mean, there's many times there's a, that, that the disciples are like, well, then who can be saved? I mean, if this is the requirement, no one can be saved. I mean, because he even says just previous to this that they're probably still thinking about your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And they're going, how can you do that? And now he's going to clarify, well, they're not as righteous as you think. Let's look at this. And so it's still at the end of, I imagine many of us, as we read through Matthew 5, 27 or 21 through 37, we're like, that's heavy. That's a lot. Who can be saved? Or how can we control our hearts? So uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. By the way, that's not an exhaustive list. So you can't say, well, I didn't do any of these things. So no, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he says those who do such things, this is those who are continually, habitually practicing things such as this. Um, Because if we just took that out of context, we would say, well, I've been envious. I get jealous. I have some fits of anger. I guess I'm not in, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you know, there's, there's a process of, of what God is doing in one's life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and by the way, a better translation, since we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so again, what we need to understand is Paul is contrasting life in the flesh, life in Christ. And so he's saying, since you are in the Spirit, because Christ now dwells within you, 
Now we can walk in such a way. We can walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what's great is when you look at that list and you look at how you react to people and how you view things, it's easy. I mean, it's easy in the fact that God has given us tools to, to address. Like when I think there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, Romans 8 verse 1, right after Paul says, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do I find myself doing, kind of like he says here, I keep, to keep you from doing the things you, you want to do is what the spirit of the flesh is doing. And so we look at this and so we go, okay, am I acting out of gentleness, self-control, patience? Yeah, am I acting in a manner that's love, joy? Uh, when we think about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, when the enemy comes and, and accuses you of not being a good Christian, by the way, there are no good Christians. There's just Christians. Okay. You know, there's no ranking system. You're in Christ or you're not. And, and you're in Christ. So the, the battle's been won. He's done it all. But the enemy will tell you, ah, yeah, no. Well, wait a second. Does that lead me to joy and peace and the assurance of my salvation? And, and what God has done for me? Or does it lead me to condemnation and doubt and, and focus on myself? If we could step back and assess our lives with our reactions and moments uh, through the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, through is this condemning me, then we would go, okay, that's, this is the way of the Lord. This is not. Right? It's very easy for us. The problem is, is our emotions. Our emotions get in the way. When you think about the times that you are really angry for no good reason, um, it's a reaction that gets in the way. If you had the time to breathe and pause and think, would you do and react the same way? Probably not. Probably not. Um, And so we always have to pause. Uh, It's a challenge. Again, I don't hate to pick on parents, but, um, but parenting is such a great example for for our failures, sorry. <laughs> I mean, really, you feel like a failure a lot when you're a parent. Um, but the reality is the thing that really struck me, Laura and I, years ago, and I've shared this with you guys before, when I'm disciplining my child, is it for their benefit or for my convenience? And too often, it's just because I want them to shut up. I'm tired of what they're doing. I'm bothered by it. Um, and they're not being quiet. Or they're not stopping that action or they're acting in a way. And so I get frustrated rather than go, wait a second, how can I discipline? Because I'm disciplining them so that they will become a godly person, a person who who is a benefit to society, a person who understands how to, to look to the needs of others. Uh, right. Instead, when I'm disciplining them in out of my convenience, all I'm teaching them is don't make dad mad. <laughs> I mean, that's really all I'm teaching them. And that's not beneficial to them. Um, and it's hard because, um, man, then you foster kids. And that's kind of a challenge, too. I'm just I'll leave it at that. Fostering kids made us feel very small. All the time. Because <laughs> you can't discipline them like you do your own kids. So now you're like, ah. Anyway, so, but again, it pulls it out of you. And so the, the challenge again is the heart. The heart that Jesus is after. And he has given us his very spirit. So the pressure is on him. But we have access to his very spirit. And what I want us to be encouraged tonight is that we do have the tools from the Holy Spirit to not say, you know, you empty-headed fool. We can. We can. Um, 
It's not easy, but we can. Why is this in Matthew? You're supposed to be in Mark. So Matthew chapter 5. Let's go back and we'll pick up verses 27 through 30. um, Because this is fun. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, there is a, and has been over the years, a... um, movement of self I might say the wrong word uh, self mutilation uh, because oh man I've got to um, you know I've got to cut myself I need to uh, break my hand and poke myself in the eye there's some extreme things out there over the years because of verses like this well if I'm lusting after somebody well which I were you lusting after them with I mean, you know, uh, but again, but we see in many cultures too, even this idea that if there's a thief, what do they do? They'll take his hand and they'll cut it off. Uh, and does that, does that change the heart of the thief? Probably not. It might, it might curb behavior. Uh, we have a lot of people who are in jail right now who their, their hearts have not changed and they're sorry, sorry they got caught, right? And they're thinking, how can I do this without getting caught next time? Um, that's the advantage of having an older, older sibling. But we live in a world, though, that I think glorifies the flesh and exalts sinful passions of lust. The reality is the world has always been this way. Um, you just had to work a little harder to find it. Uh, now they're just, the, the world just taps on the lust of the flesh. Sex sells. You've heard that before. Um, I, I think I've shared this before. My grandmother years ago. How can a car be sexy? I just don't understand, right? Because you, you know, and, and the idea is that 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 we're talking about passion. We're talking about lust. We're talking about um, oh, look at that. Look, I, I want that. I need that. So the idea of lust is to seek that which is forbidden. Um, you, you know, don't covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant, it says, so, or his donkey. So it even gets weirder. But, but the whole idea is, is that we're not to uh, lust after those things which are forbidden. Um, and so, yes, does it talk about uh, specifically sexual lust? Yes, but there's, there's even more. It's a heart issue. Uh, we can lust after things that are forbidden. And in the context, obviously, in our world, Jesus knew. He knew that, that sex was going to be something that people use all the time. And I imagine some of you who are a little bit older than me um, have looked at things that is in front of us on TV and in the world today and are just appalled by what is allowed. I mean, now that everything's, now that everything's streaming, there, I mean, reality is now that everything's streaming, there is no, there's, there's no censorship in my opinion. Uh, of things that you watch and, and, and you know you become used to certain things that as a kid I would have never seen or heard on TV never you, you just like oh, that's just you know it's better drama well no not necessarily uh, but but as it is it a good picture of what our world is you walk in the supermarket and you hear kid parents swearing at their kids all the time you hear people having conversations and they use certain language all the time. 
um, because certain words can be used as an adverb, an adjective, a verb, a noun, and, and a pronoun, and everything, right? And, and some guys can do it. Uh, was it the, what's the, Carl, oh, never mind. I know what you're saying. He's a comedian. He's a comedian who used it in a sentence uh, um, as everything for every single part of the speech. But but the reality is is that we need to go back to Exodus chapter 20. This is not a surprise to um, to God, and this is what Jesus is calling out. And when we talk about the ceremonial law um, that we talked about last week, Jesus is saying, "Look, the law has been in place." Uh, like the Bible says this morning, you've heard of the spirit, uh, the, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Jesus has given them the letter of the law, and now he's explaining the spirit of the law in, in a radical way. So 20, uh, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery, okay? And then 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's because they are desiring that which is forbidden. It's not theirs. It's not theirs. Again, the religious leaders were great in outward appearance, but their hearts were wicked and far from God. And, and sadly, we see in the book that we've been talking about, uh, you know, Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership, um, you see these, these prominent faith leaders who have this whole double life, this whole other side of them, and eventually it comes out. They can't hide it anymore. So they're doing everything right on the outside, but on the inside, they hasn't, the heart has not been dealt with. Um, and we have that, I don't want to pick just on, on high-profile faith leaders. The reality is we all wrestle with that. It's just we're not given the tools that some people are the power and the position that some people have been given. But we still all wrestle with the issues of the heart. We still all wrestle with desiring that which is forbidden. It's not yours. It's not yours. Don't lust after it. Uh, you know, I want this. And so you, you, persever, you perseverate over it. You obsess over it. I want this. I want this. I'm going to pray about it all the time. I'm going to pray about it. And finally, God's like, okay, I'll give you over to the lust of your flesh. It's not good for you. But there you go. And then we find out that wasn't very good for us. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I still love you. Um, so 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Second John for you. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And we've gone extensively over these before, a couple uh, times ago, a few times ago. But again, verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride in its passions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen, you want something today and you get it. Tomorrow you're going to want something else. I mean, uh, and again, some things you need. I'm not saying that. But if you're really desiring something, uh, it's like a kid who I, you, know, you just want. I really, really want. I really wanted to stretch Armstrong when I was a kid. Some of you are old enough to remember what those are. Really wanted one. And I got one. And it was awesome. And then I left it in our cabin in Yosemite, which was fine because I was a teenager at that point in time. It's like, well, I'll, just, I'll reminisce to these cool toys that are only at the cabin in Yosemite. 
And then in 1991, the cabin burned down and Stretch was melted uh, forever. Um, you know, I had band-aids on certain parts that were cracking that you had to keep the gel inside. Um, but, you know, the reality is I really wanted that. And I remember, oh, I got him. But then within two days, I really want a Simon. You know, the, the, the big one that you had all the buttons, right? You know, I really want that. And I wanted it so bad that I knew I was getting it for Christmas because I snuck into my mom and dad's room before she had wrapped the presents that I knew I was getting it. Because I couldn't wait to know if I was getting it. Uh, she thinks she left them out so I would quit bugging her about if I was getting things or not. But the whole point is, um, and the Simon was great. But then I, oh, I really want a Rubik's Cube, right? And then, oh, I really want a keyboard. And you, know, you just keep going and, and you always want something new. And so the, the, Jesus is saying, don't lust for things that are forbidden. Be content with what you have. And we live in a world that is not content at all. Just turn on HGTV, DIY, whatever, right? You, you didn't know you needed to remodel your kitchen until you walk, turn on the TV. Oh, I don't, I need more of an open concept. I didn't realize that, right? You don't realize that until, now again, not that remodeling and refreshing isn't a, a good thing to do from time to time, but have you met those people who are always, do it always, okay, now we're going to work on this room. Okay, great. You know, right. It's net and it's not. Oh, that reminds me of the freeways in Salt Lake. <laughs> uh, Ephesians 4, 17 and 19. We'll wrap up and stop here tonight. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. <clears throat> now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's look at verse 20. Here's sarcasm in the Bible, verse 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, right? So Paul's kind of going, I know, I taught you guys. This is not what Jesus taught you. So you don't need to do anymore what the Gentiles are doing. And I find that in our context, in our world as Christians in this world, we find that the world is just running after these things. They're lusting they're getting angry all the time. They're breaking vows, as we're going to look at next week. They're treating marriage uh, without high regard. They're just, and, and I even, we'll talk about this when we get through marriage part, but it's even not getting married, right? You know, uh, the world looks at it as marriage as, well, you know, it could be a convenient piece of paper, maybe, you know, um, that, that, that and the world looks at it as something that man made because they don't, outside of God, they don't see it as a religious Thing that God has called sacred. Uh, because they, why would they give regard to God? I'm getting into next week's study. So anyway, but we live in this balance as Christians, right? To where the world is saying this. And we see that even in the early church. Uh, Paul is talking to the Ephesians like, hey, look, I know you're in this world. The Greeks were, you mean, you, you think that there's nothing new under the sun. The Greeks are like, do whatever you see and, and whatever you want. Whatever causes you pleasure, let it happen. Um, and so we see that today. I mean, to their, Greeks were weird. We got some weird stuff. Don't look it up on the internet, but there's weird stuff going on out there. Um, and all of it is because people are in darkness and the futility of their minds. And, and so because it entices the flesh, 
We find ourselves battling between the flesh and the spirit all the time because that's what the world seeks after. And yet, God says, I have eternity for you. And nothing in this world will satisfy. And all of us in this room will say, we have learned that, but yet we still struggle with it, right? All of us would say, yeah, nothing in this world will satisfy. There's a lot of great things in this world. I love being married, love having kids, love the the things that we get to experience in life. Even the hard things that we get to experience in life are great, but this world will never give me the satisfaction and the complete assurance and peace that I have in Jesus because the world will fade away and I'll want something next. I'll want the next experience. And so challenge is the heart. Jesus has done it for us and he's giving us a new heart. Remove the heart of stone that is in the futility of the minds of the Gentiles or those in the world that are not Christians. And he's given us his very spirit so that we can battle, right? If you're not struggling, with the things between the flesh and the spirit, with you're not struggling with anger sometimes, you're not struggling with lust, of uh, things that are forbidden or whatever, that I have to wonder sometimes, hmm, are you alive in Christ? Because it's a battle. And, and I, Connie has said it a couple times, and I've said it, be, sorry, I've said it way before you, but before I knew you. Um, but it was, it's easier to not be a Christian because I don't have the battle. You're not a Christian. It's all about the flesh. And, you know, now you're only, the only thing that's rough is that is if I get caught. Oh, man, I don't want to get caught. Um, but it's not this battle between, you know, being satisfied with God and, and being, trying to find satisfaction in this world. Because, you know, no offense to Lara, but I thought, man, I'm going to get married. I'm going to be fulfilled, right? And marriage is great. But the reality is, I let her down quickly into our marriage and vice versa. My expectations were unrealistic. Um, and as a 19-year-old man, my, my, I was very unrealistic in my expectations, right? Um, but because of the, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, we're still here together, um, and God is good. But it takes time, right, to be satisfied and then find the joy in that satisfaction. But don't you think, I mean, I'm, you're, it, what you're talking about is so depressing. Don't you think there is some joy in the world? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, we're the ones that are the bearers of the joy, though. We're the ones that understand the joy, right? So we see a newborn baby. Oh, man, that baby at the altar, that, there's so much joy. I, I just, I'm like, oh, his, so uh, Did you notice his face just lit up when, when that baby went up oh, there? Was, I thought that it was just beautiful. It was. I mean, the, the face, yeah. your face yeah. lit up. No, it was just, <laughs> and you're like, wow. You know, and so, but the reality is, is that, that all the joys and the pleasures that this world has to offer, um, if that's what we're living for, we will be sorely disappointed. You say it's not just enjoy it? As a, as a Christian, yes. Because we know who's given it to us, right? I look at it this way. Um, Wizard of Oz. Here's Wizard of Oz theology. You'll love this. So <laughs> Wizard of Oz theology, remember, everything's, if, if you watch the movie, the, old, the original movie, everything's in black and white, right? When they get into the land of Oz, Everything is bright with color. And so I kind of look at that as everyone who's walking around without Christ can't enjoy this world the way we can because we're seeing everything in vibrant color, whereas before we couldn't because we didn't recognize how much God has blessed us and what he's given us and how wonderful it is. So I agree with you, Connie. Enjoy it. I enjoy a lot of things because of Jesus where I couldn't enjoy them the way that um, before that I do now because Jesus gives... I mean, okay... 
Can you? Okay, I'm off topic. Well, maybe not. But sometimes a nice, the best glass of Cabernet Sauvignon, and I'm sitting there going, how did God make this happen so that, that these grapes could turn into something that tastes so good and you pair it with a really good filet mignon or something like that? You're like, oh. Before, I was just like, let's just drink as much as I can and let's just, you know, eat, just throw this down. Instead of pausing and going, look, God, you've given us so much and it's great that we can do this. Um, and so really, I, I agree with you. We should enjoy life in a way that others would look at us and go, why are you enjoying life so much? Because God has blessed me so much. Look at what he's given us to enjoy. And heaven's going to be better, but this is pretty cool here on earth. Well, and I take what you were saying about that, you know, this grandchild of yours. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, I, what I see is it's kind of like that child. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. And we, we recognize... God's handiwork and his presence, but at 2 a.m. in the morning, (laughs) 